it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Raj Gopalan, 
Peter V. S. Bond and Brian Gildenberg explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG guys. Today's episode was recorded in September. Our guest has since departed her role at Perpetua and is no longer representing the company. Hey, it's PVSB, and I am in Seattle this week. I'm attending my very first Amazon Accelerate conference, and I figured while I'm here, why don't I cut some episodes? And of course, coming top of mind, you know that when I'm not podcasting, I'm working at Flywheel Digital, and one of our sister companies, Perpetua, we have their CEO with us today. So I want to welcome to the podcast my friend, Abby Harmon. Hey, Abby, how you doing? Hi, it's Peter. Thanks for having me. Wow, it's so great to be here in this office. It's lovely. It's right downtown. It's close to everything. And I'm, it's even rainy today. I've wanted you to have thank a you. Seattle feel. The full effect. Having having grown up in Vancouver, I, I feel the pain. But yeah, I absolutely know what it's like. So this is really great. I'm glad you're. Uh, I'm glad you're able to take some time out of your day. I know Amazon Accelerate starts tomorrow, and Perpetua is going to be very busy. So glad I could steal you away for a couple minutes. So why don't we, before we get into the questions I have for you, why don't you share with our audience a little bit about what is Perpetua? Absolutely. Um... So I've been with Perpetua a little over a year now um, in the CEO role for just about five months. Um, and I continue to be sort of dazzled by both what Perpetua is today and the vision of what we're building continually for the future. Um, Perpetua is a SaaS organization and our product really helps customers express a goal to deliver growth for retail media online. Um, so that allows you to really think about the capabilities of what you are driving across search and display and some of the ancillary capabilities around Amazon and other retailers, uh, and just a really simple and delightful product um, to be able to achieve um, whatever you're expecting to drive through those advertising vehicles. That's very helpful. So that kind of leads me into my first question. Um, it was in, what, roughly... 2014 or so that uh, Amazon announced that they were going to get into the advertising business. And a couple of fellows that we know decided to form a company called Flywheel and started getting into this space. So my question is, in the U.S., Amazon's the 800-pound gorilla. There's no question. But in recent years, that doesn't seem to be the case. When you talk to brands, is it all about success on Amazon, or are there other marketplaces that are starting to bubble up as being interesting and, and what's going on there? It's a really interesting question and uh, obviously one near and dear to my heart because, uh, you know, my my origin before joining Perpetua was being part of Flywheel Digital um, and getting to see the advent of search on Amazon and this sort of seamless ability to connect the investment that you're making with a retailer exactly into kind of the proof of the pudding and how it was delivering against sales and growth, um, you know, really revolutionized how we think about advertising and the linkage of media spent to retail growth. Um, and it's been interesting to be in this space now for longer than I want to admit, over a decade, um, and see, you know, how are other retailers going to continue to capitalize on the fact that consumers are online and continue to invest in advertising vehicles of their own um, and 
What has been really interesting for me going deep with Perpetua is we really serve a different type of customer profile than maybe Flywheel did with a very sophisticated top 10 enterprise manufacturer Mm -hmm. um, whose core sales and delivery happens brick and mortar. Um, For a lot of our Perpetua customers, they might not have traditional physical distribution in the brick and mortar stores that we're all used to working with. Um, and so the roll up marketplace becomes really important um, and why Amazon has been such a significant growth drive before them. And so when I think about sort of where other retailers are, uh, a lot of times their own investment in D to C is a significant portion of their portfolio. And so they're really thinking about growing and they have a lot of sophistication in SEO and how they invest in search outside of retail. Um, it's also why retailers focus on marketplaces become so important in terms of expanding that distribution. Um, so I would say that Walmart is probably the closest to Amazon in mm-hmm. terms of really focusing and investing in what does a marketplace strategy look like and how do you enable really amazing products to find consumers online outside of physical distribution and outside of the necessity to have both a physical and online presence that are linked. Um, so that omni strategy matters, um, mm-hmm. but I actually see almost more interesting dynamics coming from yeah. um, someone like Shopify, yeah. which is also a Toronto-based uh, organization, um, but really thinking about the entrepreneurial technology spirit of how do you reach consumers and it doesn't necessarily have to be through traditional physical distribution. Um, so We've even seen that a lot of manufacturers and and brands are able to build their presence through social. Um, And so the creation and connection of consumers via Instagram, via TikTok, um, and the ability, honestly, to um, both find that consumer and then have them be able to to check out and and buy those products without ever going to a retailer. Um, It's why, honestly, you see Amazon investing in something like Buy With Prime. Uh, That's actually a competitive dynamic more to Shopify than it is to the traditional retailers that you would think of as their competitive set. Um, so for me, it's kind of fascinating to see the growth, but I still think that Amazon, especially with their transparency and focus on data, continues to be a first mover almost on all of the the dynamics that we're talking about um, and is still absolutely the retailer to watch, which is why I think this week is going to be so exciting. So uh, when I think about what big scale brick and mortar traditional brands have done, they've invested very heavily into some de- degree ensconcing their dominance in brick and mortar, right? They invest heavily in sales and marketing agencies and category managers, all these things that make them the trusted partner. How does the online world, marketplaces, Amazon, Instacart, how does how does that level the playing field, particularly around advertisers that let lets challengers actually succeed in a world where in the physical existence they would they would be challenged even to get a single skew on a shelf? Well yeah. So I think um it's so fun a lot of times in this space we really talk about media and advertising and brand awareness and how um, brands are finding their consumers. But it oftentimes boils down to what is, I mean, I I think is a very sexy part of the equation, um, which is logistics. 
So even when I think about traditional written order and the success and scale and growth that large manufacturers have, um, a lot of the ways that they've been able to create scale, drive profitability, um, really find their consumers now, honestly, globally, has been because they're so focused on running an efficient supply chain. Uh, and I think my mind was blown when I, you know, I spent two years at Kimberly Clark. Um, I love Kleenex. I was like so gun ho to work there. And it was fascinating to both see one, the scale of teams that are all supporting one unified customer, mm-hmm. uh, but also the investment and focus on forecasting and demand planning and the, um, the skew rationalization, i.e., like how much do I need to sell on something? to make it worthwhile to run the line on this specific SKU. Yeah. And so I think what's really exciting in the world of online commerce and for brands that might not have that type of distribution is it totally turns the logistics and unit economics kind of upside down on how you think about building and growing for profit. Mm-hmm. Maybe investing in a very different component of the supply chain, um, like how do I send aegis to consumers yeah. Um, and the way that you see thought that scale and where you would best also looks different. Um, but the ultimate responsibility of using data to understand like how am I connecting to my consumer, where am I spending, like that part is is absolutely the same. Yeah. But it's kind of put a pressure on entrepreneurial brands to really think about how they build a sophisticated and lean in-house team to deliver category insights to think about advertising vehicles mm-hmm. and um it's kind of a special place and a where perpetua really fits into working and helping these manufacturers and brands grow and deliver because um the need for technology to think about like where am i serving and what's the return that i'm getting on that investment um to understand okay, what is happening in the category because we all know you know at at a traditional brick and mortar retailer, you can go and you can scan the shelves. You can see what else did a buyer bring in. You can see um, how they're thinking about private labels. You can see the impact of what get put on get put on an end cap. Um, but translating that to the endless aisle of Amazon can be very complex. Mm-hmm. The competitive set obviously looks very different. Um, the breadth of what the idol is mm-hmm. and the amount of search queries that a consumer is potentially exploring in order to find your product, the massive amount of data becomes so much that you have to use technology to really think about how do I dig into those insights? Um, how do I use AI to really help me generate a recommendation? How do I put a little bit more trust into the hands of products that are going to help me best find that consumer across a myriad of data that's happening in real time, that's changing every hour. Yeah. Um, so it's a, I personally think that the access becomes so much larger, mm-hmm. but the need to have sophistication and technology also grows. You know, Amazon is ultimately a technology yeah. company. Yeah. You think of them as a retailer, but that certainly has changed. And so the need for technology against technology becomes that much more paramount for an emerging, disruptive, fast-moving brand because they don't necessarily have this structured scale of dominance mm-hmm. and having those working order relationships. When I think about the 
winning the buy box. That's the term we use in digital commerce. It's getting them to click, add to cart, and convert and buy. In the physical world, they're in a store. They grab the product off the shelf. They put it in. At that point, when they're first trying a product, the product itself is what will determine the repeat. Winning the buy box in a digital world is not the end of the journey. It is very much the beginning of the journey because you've got to get that product there. And what I heard you say is brands have to be very focused on thinking about what that fulfillment process is. Does it meet the and exceed the customer's expectation? Because that's what will drive as much of the repeat purchase. If the product comes in bad shape, it comes six days late, the retailer may get some of the pushback from the client, but they're from the customer, but they're still going to shop that retailer, right? The brand's going to be the one that takes the hit. So what I hear you saying is you spend a lot of time trying to help these brands figure out what they need to do after they win the buy box to make sure that the customer is satisfied and you can measure that in a closed loop environment and see what their repeat rate is and how they're repurchasing. Okay. So I will, let me me break that into two. Yeah, sure. Because, um, what I think is very exciting, what's changed over the last few years, is that you're starting to see in traditional retail that a buyer is actually looking at what is successfully winning online in order to make decisions on, you know, what maybe I'm going to bring into my store based on what I'm seeing with customer data graphics. And, you know, do we have something missing in our assortment mm-hmm. that actually is super popular in state traction online because they are also obviously looking at share and other data insights to make sure that they're driving a portfolio um, that is what to capture consumer demand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also pieces when a consumer is going into traditional retail, maybe they're going to an aisle and they're like, I have no idea which of these products I really want to buy. Mm-hmm. They're sure as hell going to open up their phone, look at a retailer like Amazon or Walmart and look at ratings and reviews um, you know, look at more content and make sure that they're making an informed decision, yeah. particularly for something that's a higher price point um, or is a more complex purchase. Mm-hmm. You know, they're arming themselves with data versus just kind of, I would say in the past, there was almost this trusted dynamic with, hey, I love Target and I'm really going to trust that if they have one brand on this, that that's the trusted skew and that's the one I should buy. Um, yep. And I love that, right? It's like Costco private label or still some of my favorite items like the mm-hmm. the bar there is so great and there's that trust between mm-hmm. consumer and retailer yep um but you're right here you're not necessarily as a brand having to worry about the trust that that consumer has with the end retailer and in this case the eighth amazon um you're also having to engage and and work with that and so it's thinking about how do i both find that consumer um, how do I make sure that my item is able to be purchased um, as winning the buy box? Yes, but um, you know, I want to have strong log- logistics. I, I want to make sure someone can get my item with Prime. I need strong ratings and reviews. I need compelling, amazing content. Um, but then it's once I know I have all of those conversion dynamics in play where if someone hits my detail page, they're going to buy that product. How do I get them to actually explain that detail page? And that's a lot of the the work that we do, which is, okay, and especially if you're really lean in how you're spending your advertising dollars, um, making sure that you're spending them in a way that it's going to drive conversion. Um, but then it is this constant iteration of making sure that you're using the data to 
adjust and pivot. Uh, There's a balance between cost per click and the actual conversion, yes? yes? And you have to decide what is right for what you're trying to accomplish. And that's really where you you help yes. clients figure what they're and doing. We'll really look at basically the total cost of the sale mm-hmm. and kind of understanding, you know, what are all the mechanisms that are going to go into how much you're willing to have, uh, how much you are willing to pay for someone to click and convert on that product. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how to make sure that all the places that you're serving and where you're investing um, enable you to have that really strong, um, tough ghost. So the if if I if I'm a brand and I set up all of my capabilities to support my product display page on Amazon, can I just turn that around and put that on Walmart and Target or Instacart? It doesn't work that way, does uh, it? Doesn't work that way. Um, you know, consumers will search. I think in the grand long-term vision, um, what everyone maybe has the same endless aisle and everyone has a really strong marketplace, there will probably be a continued convergence of how consumers search. Um, though, frankly, we're also seeing Amazon do a lot of personalization in search. Um, mm-hmm. So that then creates, you know, this, this large and dynamic of data. Search is all supposed to be helping a consumer find what they're looking for. Right. Um, but making sure that you're really understanding how does a consumer search within this specific retailer Mm -hmm. becomes really, really important because then how you're thinking about the content that you show, the um, dynamics that you have within your bullet points, your product description, even your title, all of that is is really essential. And the obviously Perpetua is very much focused on how do you deliver strong ad performance, Mm -hmm. but this sort of critical first steps of the work are as a brand making sure that you're thinking about do I have strong content quality um, that ties into how I know a consumer is, is going to be locating the product. Um, and it's it, you know, it's interesting in my early Amazon days that are now you know, 12 years ago, um, the split between browse and search was 50 mm-hmm. uh, And that's because folks just really genuinely didn't even know like what does Amazon have to sell? I still wonder what Amazon has to sell sometimes. It can be real. I mean, on Prime Day, I feel like I don't, I'm not doing myself justice. There's stuff. And I I read articles, what I've started doing, I just started doing this. And I'm sure that like, uh, Peter, you're a Luddite, how have you been doing this? I just started adding things to my basket and putting in to save for later. So that when Prime Day comes around, I look at what's in my basket and save for later. And if it's on deal, then I buy it. I love that. It's actually a really good deal. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's just fascinating when I think about where this is going on. What I hear you also talk about is when we think about traditional on-site advertising, right? That's very much in the marketing funnel of mid to lower because they're already, they're searching for something. They're in the consideration phase. But for brands that really want to grow, that are in a niche category or don't necessarily, a lot of people out there may not know. Like I, I'm constantly, there are things that I'm, I need in my world that I'm, what is the right search term? It took me like just just to find an online site that would scrape all of my LinkedIn followers and dumped in the Excel spreadsheet. It took me like five months to figure out what was the right search term in Google to find that product. So I've got to imagine that's the same. So my so when I start thinking about uh, I'm a brand and I want to build beyond just people who are searching for my product. Yeah. I want to move more up or up in the upper in the funnel. Now, traditionally, the way that 
brands built awareness is they would get an advertisement on the Super Bowl. Like that was the ultimate most expensive, but it was very much upper funnel awareness. The reality of today's world is that particularly Gen Zennials, is that now, I think that's an official term. We can use Gen Zennial. I heard that the other day. Now it's a new one I love. That they're cutting the cord. They're no longer, I don't, I don't have cable in my house. I have internet. And, and last time I checked, I don't get the New York Times delivered to my doorstep. I read it online. So I'm not getting that FSI, freestanding insert. You know, we break down acronyms here on the podcast. So the FSI is not coming through. So the print media and linear television are waning in terms of their impact. So you've got a whole lot of brands that are really anxious to create upper funnel awareness. So that is where the emergence of these demand side platforms or DSPs become important. What? Why don't you talk a little bit about how Perpetua helps brands achieve that objective of finding new audiences? Yes, it's, um, and if this is a really fascinating space, in particular, when you think about if so many big brands were spending millions of dollars on upper funnel advertising tactics, but you also knew, knew that that consumer could easily go to a Walmart or a Target anywhere within the United States or North America yep. find the item. Yeah. Uh, and so with this advent both of broader reach at online retailers, more manufacturers and brands able to find consumers and then demand side platforms, it kind of gives more access to brands that wouldn't necessarily be able to invest in those types of advertising vehicles or have the distribution opportunity honestly tied into it. Um, but I think, you know, there's concept that I that for PG created around like this idea of mental availability. Um, and, you know, if I can put an item in front of someone, they might not have either realized that they get that item, but suddenly poof, they realize that they do. And so DSPs really allows you to find the consumers that might have interest within your products, uh, but aren't necessarily already down in the file where they're searching specifically for it. Um, and I think what is very exciting about AMC or Amazon Marketing Cloud um, and clean rooms in general, which is just really. This is not. This is not where I keep my household cleaning products or my all my SC Johnson and my all that. That's not the room. We're talking about no, something no, completely no. different. Uh, one that's never had a clean room. Um, these are like the ones that I actually really enjoy and find fascinating. Uh, go make me fold my laundry. That's for sure. No, these are, these are privacy safe environments where data from different disparate sets can be commingled to, to yield better results. And ideally in the case of digital marketing to build behavior based audiences, um, which is a lot better than demographics, like trying to target. So I've, you know, I've, I've gone on, I've quoted chapter and verse on this podcast about income indicates a capacity to buy. It does not indicate a propensity to buy. Yes. And right. so if you're lean and sensitive to how you are investing, um, and frankly, some of the the levels of, and layers of sophistication in investing in a DSP, it's definitely a more complex vehicle because you're typically paying based on impression or right. flip. Um, so it can be really easy to overspend and not realize return. Um, and so something like AMC and clean room data allows you to have this precision of how you're thinking about interacting and reaching the right consumers. And then frankly, it's the full circle of 
okay, I've reached out to these folks. I've shown them this delightful product. How did they convert? How am I able to see um, the sort of connection that I'm having with that consumer and how it realizes back into the growth and sales that I'm looking for? Uh, and it also allows you to have much more precision on other investments that you might have. So thinking about you know, how many times is that consumer going to purchase my product? Or um, am I a, a highly um, subscribe and save or um, repeat purchase item? And, you know, I either want to convert someone into that program because we know once they're there, they're super sticky. Oh, God, the, um, the opt out rate of subscribe and save. Like if I'm a brand manager, why I am not channeling every dollar I can into subscribe and save on a retail. I don't care if it's part of the trade. Once they're they're into the brand, they're not leaving that brand. Yes. And I, it's so interesting because in my, um, you know, the, the category that I launched in my, my Amazon days before I left was pets. Mm. And I'll say subscription data, it's really messy to find. Like you got to know the right uh, database that it's located in. You still need to, to use SQL. Um, and so the fact that a lot of that subscription data is now available and, you know, Petra has specifically created some AMC audience capabilities using that data. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful. Uh, it's worth the initial high investment of promotion to get someone on the program. It's just, it's one of those programs that's sort of mind boggling. You're in any type of recurring um, product field that. If, if you're not investing in that, it absolutely should be something that you're focusing on. And if you're not thinking about how am I connecting to consumers that have maybe bought my product once or twice and aren't on subscriptions, how do you make sure that they find that product and sort of lock them into it? Because the lifetime value of that consumer in creating that dynamic is exactly. So let's open up the hood because you talked about a capability. Um, how, what exactly is it that, that the marketing cloud allows you to do like there are there my understanding is that amazon marketing has very few limitations its primary limitation is you cannot build an audience that allows you to identify an individual household but short of that your ability to think about all these what are all the different data points like what i heard you say is that they put it in the basket but they didn't buy it or they bought it twice but they aren't subscribed they all of those are signals. They're all signals. And you can use those signals to create audiences. Now, you don't want to make an audience that's so small that it's three people because, like, that's not yes. scalable. But ideally, you can use all these signals to create meaningful audiences that you can then target for advertising and measure performance. Am yes. I, am I, on- I will say, you know, the D- Amazon's DSP in particular already has a lot of targeting capability in it right. that really allows you to think about your know, bottom of the funnel and retargeting and trying to convert someone. So to... abandoned baskets, things like that. Yes, ex- yeah. Exactly. Um, but I think where AMC kind of adds this like extra zhuzh on top of that is again, that ability to have even more data based on consumer types, because you're actually then seeing it's, it again, it's anonymized, but you're able to see the specific activity of consumers uh, and kind of create this extra layer of precision on top of that targeting that you're already doing. Um, so maybe within DSP, you're thinking of targeting based on, um, and you know, the Amazon like customers that have looked at this have also looked at this, or maybe yep. I purchased this and I want to look at this, or, you know, I can sort of, I can look at it based on SKUs mm-hmm. uh, and I can look at that type of behavior. But AMC on top of that is actually the consumer information um, versus just the demographic. 
And so putting them together allows, again, just a, a more granular way that you can really think about how am I interacting and connecting with the consumer. Um, I have to say for the sake of Accelerate and sort of the the types of, of customers that we work with, um, sponsored display is also a, a great way to yep. kind of go up funnel and um, and reach consumers even before you're maybe getting as sophisticated in, in um, looking at these specific audiences via DSP and AMC audiences. Um, but all of this is basically saying like, wow, we can now really understand consumer intent and hopefully delight them with the ways that we are showing them products that are going to make it so much easier for them to know like, oh my gosh, I, I did need that. I was looking over here. I was I was overwhelmed. I left the site. Oh, that is exactly the item I was looking for and you know placed it in front of me in a very tangible, discoverable way. And now you may actually also link all of that activity back to the exact measurement and attribution. And that's the part that I think is really exciting is, you know, spending dollars on advertising and trying to reach consumers via demand side platforms. Mm-hmm. And that's been around for a while. The ability to measure on the back end exactly how that consumer is interacting with the product for a year. Uh, you know, across the life cycle of the item or the person, um, it's it's at a different scale that just allows you to be so thoughtful in the investment that you're making. I've got to imagine that a, a significant percentage of your customers that are selling through Amazon are also operating their own direct-to-consumer site. So how does the data that they are collecting, can it? Can they bring that into Amazon Marketing Cloud? And what can they learn from that? Like, what is... What does AMC allow them to do to help them better understand their own customers? What's going on there? I mean, I think what's kind of crazy in this era is it's not like AMC is necessarily giving specific recommendations. It's just, it's exactly a way to say, hey, here's all of this other customer data that I have. Here's, I mean, Amazon is the most powerful retailer in terms of the customers that they're also interacting with. And I can actually start then putting these different sets together where um, maybe I am finding that consumer versus on social, uh, but they're actually converting on Amazon. Suddenly I can see those pieces together. Maybe I know that um, someone coming into my brand will come with a um, lower uh, profitable skew. But once I'm able to capture them, and maybe that happened through D2C, I could upsell them on all these other items. And so it creates the sort of scale of this uh, growth and size that customer can be much larger. Um, so for us, starting to put some of that data to data and other components within that universe together, you start to get to cleanly and clearly see what is the cost of acquiring that consumer and then what is their lifetime value. Mm-hmm. And you said it, it's like these are magical, mythical, uh, you know, metrics. Unicorns and mermaids. Yes, but you know, that I feel like we've been talking about yep. the advent of Mad Men, right? Where you're like, what is the value of consumer and how do we know? And this sort of, I'll say, bogus at times dynamic of like an MNN or a market mix model where you're trying to figure out. I think that was thing. alchemy. Yes, exactly. I, you know, I felt like it. But they, they'd say, oh, it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I'm like, come on. And that's the thing is with the clean room where you actually have all of this specific consumer data, you can actually start to see like, what is the cost of acquisition? How do I make sure I'm profitable? And how do I keep 
scaling up and growing with the consumer, be specific on what I'm trying to sell to them, but also know the value that they bring to my portfolio. So in addition to obviously brands wanting to know about how they're performing, they also want to know how everybody else is performing. Yes. So how how does Perpetua help brands understand the overall market intelligence landscape? Yes. Um, it's certainly in a world of an endless aisle, it makes it a lot more complex to know who your competitors are, what their competitive set looks like. And Perpetua in particular has a product that we've um, now brought into to general release that's called Prism. And it really allows you to understand within the category. And a category looks very different online than it might be in how you traditionally define it. Within Everybody has, you would be thrilled. You would think like Coke and Pepsi both understand what carbonated beverages are. Having worked with both, I can tell you that the Venn diagram, there's a big overlap area, but there are there are differences even in how anyone looks. I look at, like, think about picture hooks versus bathroom hooks. They can do the same thing, but they can be merchandised completely different areas of the store. And finding them can be a challenge. Yes. And I'll say, Ethan, I've been there to see for so long that that traditional brick and mortar retailer, how they think about category intelligence and share data. They want the denominator to be the same online as what they're used to looking at within their traditional brick and mortar spaces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because no one has necessarily wanted to say to their executive, like, hey, I have 20% share in Walmart and I have 6% share on Amazon. Um, but I would argue that it's that much more important to know like what, regardless of what you think of as a category, how does a consumer think about that category? Uh, because maybe bubbly water at one place like actually really matters to the shopping experience and, and might be a trade-off for, you know, a soda that wouldn't necessarily exist based on the shelf that you're looking at in traditional working order. So Prism really helps to understand what are the categories that you should be looking at and that's going to be Man. truly how the consumer is thinking about the category, not necessarily what you think the items within that denominator fit. Don't tell brand markers. They think they know exactly how people think about their products. And it's shocking when they find out consumers think entirely differently about it. Different, yeah. No, you're like, oh, that shouldn't be included in my share, but for consumer, it, it, it very well is. So in terms of how, how your customers use prism is it is it a self-serve is it a highly templatized is it a just here build your own spreadsheet like what is yes. what is it that gets them into this it's completely self-serve and you can look at it basically um on search queries um or on SKUs and sort of how you want to define that category um so either we can sort of say like here's the broad category or you can actually create your own niche saying like, here are the SKUs that I want to look at and that I want to understand the trends in this category, what's popping up on those search queries, how are things growing? And it really allows them to go very deep in understanding promotional activity, um, elements like inventory, how folks are investing both off-site and on-site. Um, and it's a great place to start where if you are seeing um, a slowdown of sales or you know you're, you're sort of trying to figure out what's happening within your known category, 
it allows you to say like, hey, here's entrance that you didn't even realize or started despite what some of the activity that you're driving. Yep. Uh, and then what I think is really exciting is that you can start to then link that intelligence back into the advertising strategy that you are driving. So maybe you see someone else is getting very aggressive in promotions. Um, do you want to pull back in how you're investing in search because you're not going to sort of meet that uh, pricing dynamic? Or do you want to get more aggressive in making sure that your stills are showing to your consumer base? So it starts to tag how you are investing in um, that capability to the consumer to all the other dynamics that are happening within the category. I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that we're here in Seattle on the eve of Amazon Accelerate. Can you share with our audience what is Amazon Accelerate and why has Perpetua decided to be a principal partner in sponsoring this event? Yes. Um, so I think Amazon Accelerate, I'll admit, wasn't a conference I knew as well about in my previous enterprise very vendor-centric world. And that's because Accelerate is really more focused on the disruptor-growing seller market. Mm -hmm. uh, it is some of the most sophisticated brands in realizing how to unlock the potential of the massive consumer base that Amazon has. Um, and it's a specific event really tied into making sure that this larger seller community knows the advanced capabilities that they can work with Amazon on to continue to grow their own brands. Um, and, you know, it's really a, a way to have kind of a first mover in knowing um, what technology is coming out. It's a great way to network and understand sort of what the, the market in general looks like. It's a fantastic way to have that connection with your advertising team. Uh, and there's so much amazing content. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really a, a chance to have this deep, knowledge of all the components of Amazon that are going to allow you to grow and succeed with business on kind of all at your fingertips and in one I and by it's a one lovely city. Yep. Um so it's it's a great conference. And even though it has more of that seller centricity, I would say it's equally important for more traditional brands to keep a close pulse on what's happening within this world mm -hmm. because there's a reason that a stellar growth on Amazon is just so much more dramatic than what you might see with traditional uh, you know, more brick, brick and mortar centric brands yeah. because they're capitalizing on these capabilities. They're really sophisticated in how they're using data. Um, they're constantly learning, innovating, doing tests and learns. Like they're so nimble. And the amount of uh, intel that they get at a conference like this is helpful to keep an eye on because it very much tells you, like, Where's the prioritization of where Amazon is um, investing? Where's the prioritization of the retail growth going to happen? And how should I, as a, a brand, think about where I want to invest and continue to grow this powerful retailer? So I think then Accelerate is much more, as you said, for the challenger brands, the ones that are digitally native, understanding the powerful capabilities. It's not, it's not like going to the old Expo West natural products expo with a lot of mom and pop operations. They may be small, but they're sophisticated. And then I would, I would differentiate accelerate from the next event that Amazon's going on in New York in October. That's unboxed. That is much more for big agency scaled brands and talking about those capabilities. So this yes. is much more. So that's why Perpetua is more focused on 
accelerate because it's to the heart of who your client base is. Yes. I will say, um, we also are a platinum sponsor for Unbox. Okay. Well, that's good then. As a significant portion of our business, it's working very hand in hand with amazing agency partners. Of course. Uh, and you know, our agency partners both support disruptor, um, more traditional seller brands. Um, but we also work with agencies that um, deliver excellence kind of at scale for um, more sophisticated enterprise brands as well. I've got to imagine that when I look, I mean, Big brand, big consumer packaged goods manufacturers are not monolithic. They have a portfolio of brands, some of which are the multi-billion dollar brands, but some are ones that they're trying to grow. And you know what? Maybe the full-on managed service solution that they're giving to their, their flagship brand is not necessarily justifiable for some of the emerging brands. That's where you come in to yes. help them grow. Yeah, and it's so interesting because I think there's there's a real cyclical dynamic of a brand wanting to have a full in-house solution and realizing that they might not have the depth of knowledge or resources to do everything themselves. And they'll sort of ping pong between, I need this full service support. I understand I need to outsource this and I want the technology, the product capability in-house to be able to deliver. And that kind of can, can ebb and flow based on honestly, the scale, and it might look very different for a flagship brand versus, uh, you know, a smaller brand in the portfolio that may almost seem more of a, a disruptor. Mm -hmm. um, it's also interesting because we've worked with a lot of what I would say are more disruptor brands that have got to such a scale where they've been acquired by a large CPG. Of course. And then we've seen that large CPG start to adopt and replicate the strengths of that disruptor emerging brand into some of the other more traditional there's a reason brands. there's a reason they won in the online exactly. world to to completely subjugate that to the to the scaled national brick and mortar brand would be a disservice to the entire enterprise so I can see why you say that so uh, my last question for you um, Abby is I'm constantly impressed by the outward expression of perpetua's culture and it's social media, in all the activities. It's like, I feel like I'm, I've got huge FOMO. Like, granted, I, I, I'm, I'm a remote employee for the larger Flywheel. I'm in New Haven, Connecticut. I, when, when we go on an office outing for lunch, it's me. But I really am excited. I'm also, an, as I mentioned to you earlier, I'm a, I'm a Canadian expat. So the fact that Perpetua has its roots in Toronto, always exciting. Love seeing the pictures with the CN Tower in the background and going to, uh, going to Blue Jays games. But like, I'm curious, how do you maintain that really excited? How do you, you know, I, I never think of culture as an input. It's more of an output. So to do that, what is it that you foster to really create this exciting dynamic culture that gets people really excited and matches the excitement in the brands that you're servicing that are challenging, that are growing at rapid rates? What is it about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, there is very much a startup mentality, even as we scale and become, honestly, at, at a much larger operational growth size, um, because we're truly helping startups, founders, businesses that are, um, you know, just trying to capitalize and, and win in this very complex space. And I think that's incredibly gratifying. Um, I also think that 
one, culture is something that has to be cultivated, owned by everyone, and thought about on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And the bar-raising talent of our organization, honestly, is something I have rarely experienced in my career and is something very special. Um, it is very much a artistic, creative, uh, incredibly intellectually curious organization and why I love um, the close partnership that we have with sibling brand Flywheel because that curiosity and desire to learn, innovate, and think about new ways of working, um, I think is something that really exists across both organizations. Um, but keeping a mindset of innovation and you know, one of our, our principles is fearless Kaizen. So this concept of continual improvement, of seeing that something isn't quite working the way that we expected it to, and being willing to challenge and try a new way of working, that's very much a part of our culture. Um, you know, I think for me, coming in as a um, woman CEO, which is pretty rare in, in these gang, uh, in, in this sort of world, and um, also coming in as someone that is admittedly more of an emotional, heart-first uh, person and then a seeker and an analytical brain second. Um, creating a space where folks can be authentically themselves is, is really important to me. Uh, at that sense of innovation, I think, can be discovered and cultivated in a world where folks are able to be very, very authentic. Um, yeah, it's it's incredible organization, um, one with a ton of growth ahead. And the other thing that I think is such a differentiator for us is you know Amazon revolutionized retail in creating a space where anyone could list an item. And for Perpetua, the focus on how do you simply express what your goal is and let the technology really help you with that creates a dynamic where um, we're really we're lowering the floor and raising the ceiling to let someone that might not have a lot of dollars to spend that might be a small mom and pop startup the same opportunity to grow and take advantage of this space as any of the big brands. And I think that's something really special. It's something that is very motivating for, for me and, and for the team. Um, and I think that mission continues to have us focused on where we need to grow. Abby, I want to thank you for taking time uh, as you prepare to head over for Accelerate tomorrow to, to speak with me. Um, it was really great, great having this chat with you. Yes, good to uh, to our audience, want to thank you as always. Uh, make sure to visit cpgguys.com where you can find all of our content. Our episodes are filterable on topics like retail media, AMC, insights, whatever you're looking for. We've probably got a filter for it so you can find lots of great episodes. You can educate yourself and hopefully you find it a little entertaining. And we look forward to speaking with you on the next episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Goodbye. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. 
The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPT Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPT Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.